0: we can turn our Bibles to, <clears throat> excuse me, Revelation chapter 13. Today, uh, we are in the midst of a study of the book of Revelation, uh, and we find ourselves here all about midway through, through the book, and we have come to uh, what I mentioned last week is, to me personally, one of the most fascinating uh, parts of this entire book. Revelation 13 that talks about two uh, very prominent people who will be coming onto the world stage at some point uh, in the future, and uh, it's one of the one of the uh, important parts of the Bible because really the uh, the the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, dedicate a lot of space. Uh, to this individual that we will be looking at this morning. This person uh, that we, that is oftentimes referred to as the Antichrist, is talked about in, like I mentioned, the Old Testament and the New Testament, not just the book of Revelation, but that nearly that entire chapter that we read in the Scripture reading, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is talking about this same person. So the world and even some within Christianity will try to downplay uh, the fact that there is coming at some point in the future a person who will rule over an empire that is covers the entire world, and he's going to be literally uh, driven by Satan himself, as it says here in the Bible. That idea is scoffed at and completely uh, ignored. But in order to do that, we have to ignore the plain meaning of words, uh, let alone the plain meaning of Scripture, because it it is very prominent within the Bible describing this person who is going to come and really create havoc in the world, particularly for believing people. So we will uh, continue our look. Last time we we saw part one of this, today we will see part two of this coming world ruler. And we uh, find ourselves in this part of Revelation that is describing the tribulation period, a, a period of time that, according to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, says will last for seven years and leads up to uh, the coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom upon this world where he will, where the Lord Jesus Christ himself will be the actual world ruler ruling over a kingdom that, that he establishes that is full of grace, full of truth and full of righteousness as opposed to this kingdom that we are learning about in revelation 13. That is the exact opposite of that where there is no grace. It is literally evil and, uh, everything that is opposed to God. And so in, Re- in the book of Revelation, it's easily broken down into three parts based on Revelation 119. The Lord appeared to John while he was on the island of Patmos in about 95 to 96 AD or AD 95 to 96. The Lord appears to John while he is exiled and tells him to write these things down. Revelation 119, he's to write the things which you have seen, which we saw was chapter 1, the vision of the risen Christ, the things which are. He was told to compose seven letters to seven individual churches that were in existence in that time around the first century when John is writing. And And the messages are very applicable to us today because we're, we are Christians who go to church and are should uh, have in our minds to be pleasing to the Lord. And that's exactly what we see in those letters that John composed to these churches, how they can improve their Christian walk in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. That's what the entire book of Revelation is really about. The fact that Jesus Christ is coming to this world again. And what are the events that are going to lead up to that? Well, that's where we find ourselves now. The things which will take place after these things, John was told to write. In uh, Revelation one nineteen. we saw a scene in heaven. And now, Revelation chapter 6 through basically the end of chapter 19 is talking about this tribulation period that is going to come upon the earth. And we've covered a lot of that already, uh, where we saw that the the tribulation period begins with the sealed judgments, that there's going to come this rider on a white horse that we believe is this same uh, antichrist that's being described here in Revelation 13. He's going to bring kind of a, a pseudo peace or a fake peace to the world, which is what is described in in the first seal judgment. So we as uh, human beings who may or may not be familiar with the Bible, we see uh, things like wars taking place and we, our mind immediately thinks, "Uh Oh, this is, this is the tribulation with, this is, this is trouble. We are leading up to Armageddon. Everybody knows Armageddon, right? And so every time there's a war Oh, we start looking for for the signs that this is the end. Well, the Bible tells us it's exactly the opposite of that. The world is going to run to this antichrist because he's going to bring "quote unquote" peace to the world. He's going to have the answers to our to our problems. So the world is going to run after him, but we saw that the scene quickly changes to war. And famine, and death, and martyrdom on an unprecedented scale, scale. Signs in the skies, the stars falling from the sky, the sun darkening—not—not not just an eclipse or meteor showers, but we're talking literal darkening of the sun that isn't predictable like an eclipse is. And another problem that people may have in understanding Revelation is that there are sometimes breaks in the description of events that will take place to describe give more information about those breaks or that that those events that are taking place and that's what happens in revelation chapter 7 there's an intermission in the the narrative to give more information we saw the the 144,000 Jewish witnesses the results of their witnessing this great multitude of believers from around the world and then more judgments take place. The trumpet judgments follow the seal judgments, uh, and they're increasing in intensity. And then we have another intermission. So you can think of the tribulation period as sort of like a hockey game. There's a first period, an intermission, a second period, a second intermission, which is where we find ourselves. Now that John in Revelation 10 through the end of 15 is is all in intermission, not that it isn't important, but it's giving more information about events that will take place during the tribulation period. Without kind of advancing the narrative, if you will, we're we're it's like the uh, like in a hockey game <laughs> during the intermission when the the announcers and the the uh, Professional observers tell you give you information about things that took place in the game already, what they think's going to happen uh, in the in the future in the next period of the game. How is it all going to play out well that 's what we get in these intermission periods. We saw the two witnesses in Revelation chapter eleven We saw the tr- the seventh trumpet that looked forward to Christ reigning. Uh, And then we see Revelation chapter 12, a very important uh, chapter describing, giving us more information about why is all of this happening in the first place. And and so there's a lot of figurative language there to tell us about the nation of Israel, to tell us that the Messiah came from Israel, that Satan has been in opposition to Israel and the Messiah from the very beginning, and this war that is going on between the literally the forces of good in the world, Michael and his angels, the forces of evil, Satan and fallen angels, and how they did battle, and that Satan will one day in the future. Uh, be cast to the earth be excluded from heaven he actually has access to heaven now but in the future during this tribulation period that that's going to come to an end is he is going to be cast to the earth and he's going to want to do war against believing people who are on this earth so how is he going to do that that's where we find ourselves today in Revelation chapter thirteen, he's primarily going to do that through two literal people who will live on the earth, referred to as the Antichrist and the False Prophet, and that's that's where we will uh, find ourselves today. If you want a printout of this outline, we have we have a few more up here on the table. So last time in kind of introducing this chapter. We talked about how Satan is going to wage this war. He's very clearly depicted there in Revelation 13.1, the dragon who's standing on the seashore. We see this beast coming up out of the ocean. Obviously, this is figurative language, so we, we need to interpret the figures uh, of speech here. We saw that the Bible is, is has a pretty good track record of describing when it talks about the sea, and things coming out of the sea, that's typically a reference to the Gentile nations. And that we even see that in the book of Revelation chapter 17, where it specifically says, we saw, that the, the waters represent the nations. It tells us, point blank, we don't have to, to search too far for that. So this Antichrist is going to come from the Gentile nations. Does that mean that he is a Gentile? Perhaps He could also be a Jewish person who comes from the Gentile nations. It's not perfectly clear. We looked at Daniel 11, 36 and 37, uh, talking about how it's possible that that those verses are referenced to say that the Antichrist will be Jewish, but he's going to reject the God of his fathers. Uh, Is that totally true? important? Uh, I Probably not. We don't need to start a new church over something like that. Uh, uh, nevertheless, he will come from the nations. He's not going to come from Israel. He will come from the nations. And that makes sense with our understanding of how the future world is going to uh, come together. And when we compare it to the book of Daniel that describes the world empires that will rule over the world. It's got a pretty good track record of, of uh, showing who these nations will be. Daniel, writing about 500 years before Christ, literally predicted Babylon to be a nation who rules over the world, particularly Israel. Uh, the Persians will then come after the uh, nation of Babylon. They will rule over kind of the known world, Israel in particular. And then a nation that wasn't even on the radar at all is specifically named in the book of Daniel as Greece to be the next nation on the world stage. And yes, indeed, they, they did uh, come and conquer the Persians. And then Rome comes after after that, as described in the book of Daniel chapter seven, we'll look at that some more uh, later today. Uh, So it makes sense that this antichrist, there are four beasts mentioned in Daniel. There has to sort of be a revival of this fourth beast at some point in the future for this antichrist to come from there. And as I mentioned the Bible's got a good track record on predicting these things, so we can have faith that this is what's going to happen in the future. Uh, Daniel or Revelation thirteen two or thirteen one describes this beast as having ten horns and seven heads, and ten crowns or diadems on its head. There, Revelation 13.1. Uh, we saw that this is a very similar description to Satan himself because the Antichrist will be, he is Satan's man on the scene. Satan comes along. We know that he has the power to offer the kingdoms of the world to people. He did the, the very same thing to Jesus himself in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4. Jesus, of course, uh, did not accept, he would not worship uh, Satan. This person will. He is going to accept the offer that Satan gives to him. That's why he's given this very similar uh, description we saw last time. These ten horns that are described give us the idea that that this future empire, if you will, is going to be made up of ten kind of kingdoms that come together to form it. That's why it's described as having the ten horns with the ten crowns. And it has blasphemous names on the, on the heads. We'll see more of that uh, this morning. This beast has, Revelation 13, 2, the qualities of the previous beasts: uh, A leopard, feet like a bear, mouth like a lion. That's very similar to the description that Daniel gives in Daniel 7 of these four beasts or four empires that will rule this final one will be sort of a conglomeration of all of the previous uh, empires that have ruled over the world and over Israel in particular. And so the Antichrist is this person who is going to rule over this kingdom. And we see that the, the kingdom and the Antichrist almost being described as if they're the same thing because the Antichrist is the kingdom, and the kingdom is the Antichrist. He is it. We're going to see it's a, it's a real cult of personality in this uh, coming world kingdom, this coming world ruler. So today we'll look at the worship of the Antichrist, the words that he says, the war that he is going to wage on believers, and finally the warning that is very applicable to us and to people in the future. But we begin with the worship of Satan himself and the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 3 says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain on this seven headed beast. And his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? So, according to revelation thirteen three this beast has a fatal wound on one of its heads and when you read the commentaries there 's generally two ways that people uh, proceed with this verse, and one is to say that it is a wounded empire, because after all, it is true that the that the heads we saw last time represent these previous kingdoms, essentially there have been seven world kingdoms uh, that have, ru- there have been six kingdoms that have ruled that, uh, over the known world and primarily focusing their attention on the nation of Israel, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, seventh being the coming world kingdom. So this beast has, one of the heads has a fatal wound, and so, hmm, maybe it's one of those heads that represent the kingdoms that has a fatal wound and it's sort of revived. Uh, okay, but it's one of the seven heads that has the fatal wound, so there's kind of a problem with that. People, uh, good... Scholars, uh, sometimes or, or otherwise good scholars will see that well this entire description of the beast is describing the coming world kingdom and so they will run to this interpretation of the fatal wound kind of being a reviving of this empire. Well there's a problem like I mentioned it's one of the seven is wounded and then healed that could very likely be this seventh kingdom that isn't in existence yet but will be that receives a fatal wound but is healed and as we will see this beast is has singular pronouns he's referred to as him throughout this and the pronouns are very important in this case as they are in life in general uh, But we don't need to go into that. Um, It it is describing a person here. And he receives a fatal wound that is healed. We see that. And it's emphasized that it is a person who receives the fatal wound. Uh, Revelation 13, 12. He exercises, speaking of this false prophet, this next beast that we will get to. Uh, then I saw another beast i 'm sorry revelation thirteen twelve he this second beast exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed revelation thirteen fourteen and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. So it gets even more uh, explicit there in its description. It's a, it's a fatal wound with a sword that is somehow healed. Uh, and I'm not sure what... 5 6 is. Oh, that is a comparison to Christ himself. He is uh, in Revelation 5 6, he is the lamb who was standing as if he had been slain. This is why we refer to this person as the Antichrist, because he takes on a lot of the qualities of Jesus Christ himself, even this fatal wound, even a, a resurrection of sorts. So I'm going to uh, put forward the idea that this is speaking of this person in the future who is going to receive a fatal wound of some sort and will either be resurrected or the world is going to, at the very least, think that he was resurrected. A lot of people have a problem with that, saying, oh, Satan, he, he doesn't have the power to uh, resurrect someone, or that could only happen if God does it, and these kinds of things, and uh, that might be the case. I, I don't know that there's chapter and verse that we can go to that says Satan couldn't do that. Uh, but nevertheless, God could allow it to happen for His purposes. So, while I while I respect the idea that this could just be uh, the speaking of the Roman Empire kind of reviving, really more more in. In line with the language is that this is describing the fact that this person the antichrist will receive some sort of fatal wound and will at the very least appear as if he has come back to life and then people will worship him and worship satan those ideas seem to go together if you know if uh Well, we won't go into the politics, but if a politician were to die and to resurrect right before your eyes, you would think, wow, that this, he could be the guy, he could be the one who is, who is sent to uh, rule over the world. And several religions, actually, the Muslims included, have in their kind of prophetic ideas, this idea of a ruler coming who will rule over the world with Uh, typically them as the focus. But, so all that to say, the world is very much looking for a person who is going to rule over a kingdom uh, like we are, but we are worshiping the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came and died for our sins. And the Bible very clearly tells us to expect him to come again and rule in the future. So this most likely this fatal wound that this person is receiving is most likely a, a literal fatal wound from a sword that he that he dies or at the very least appears to die and is resurrected and then the world is going to be amazed and follow after the beast as it says in verse 3. And they are going to worship the dragon, the whole earth, it says there in the second half of verse 3. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. This, As far as the whole earth goes, this is referring to what we've called the earth dwellers. The people who are not believing in Christ will follow after this antichrist and as we will see Satan himself, the reason we're not just arbitrarily saying, oh, it's not every person on the world, we have a verse to go to that says that it's not every person on the world, and therefore, it's only those who aren't believing, Revelation 15 Verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. So clearly there are some people who don't, follow after the beast. However, we can kind of rest assured that the overwhelming majority of them will. Hence, verse 3 that says, the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they also turned to Satan to worship him. Verse 4, they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like the beast who is able to wage war with him notice that their eyes are completely focused on the things that they can see they're walking by sight they see this incredible miracle of the antichrist being uh again at least appearing as if he was raised from the dead they see it with their own eyes And they go after it in spite of uh, the fact that Satan is very obviously the antithesis of God and evil in this world. They turn to him because they are walking by sight and not by faith. Exactly the opposite as we should as believers today and certainly people in the future are going to be needing to walk by faith or else they will be deceived into following after the antichrist second corinthians four sixteen says therefore we do not lose heart but though our outer man is decaying yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we we today in this world are faced with a myriad of problems, the the very least of which are high gas prices and inflation and uh, maybe some food shortages in the future, some uh, economic Kind of pain. Those things are. It can be bad, but we also face some real difficulties in our in our lives. Health problems, uh, deaths of people who shouldn't be dying. These kinds of things that are very uh, painful beyond uh, some money in our pocket, and these kinds of things. And we, if we turn and get our our eyes focused on our problems. Well, that's what we're going to focus on is our is our problems. The things that we can see. We are told here by Paul in Second Corinthians to look to the things that we can't see. The, the faith in Christ and the result of that. Trusting in Him moment by moment. Our future with Him. The future that He has laid up for us. When we get our attention and focus on those kinds of things, our problems in this world tend to Uh, dampen down somewhat. These people in the future tribulation are not going to do that. They are going to be focused on the things that they can see. Another good reason to call them earth dwellers. They're focused on the earth and the things of the earth. And they see this beast that is wielding this great power. He can even come back to life. we got to follow after him and Satan, the one who's giving him that power, because after all, who can possibly wage war against this guy? Well, uh, Jesus Himself. Continue reading the rest of the story. Jesus can wage war with him. That's what we're getting prepared for in this second intermission. Is the final. Uh, set of judgments that will happen, the, the bowl judgments. And if these people in the future, you know, maybe somebody will uh, be able to see this recording during the tribulation in the future. I hope they can. That would be great. Uh, a message to people in the future. You think it's been bad so far? Wait until Revelation chapter 16. It's only going to get worse in the bowl judgments because jesus christ is the one who can wage war against this beast and satan and he will conquer him revelation nineteen, eleven through 21 he is the one that we ought to have our faith in not uh not this coming caesar this is a picture i took i had this up there last week and i liked it so much i spit it in there again. Uh, I was in New Orleans last uh, two weeks ago, going to the airport from the hotel. We go right by the Superdome, and here's what it looks like today. It's Caesar's Superdome, obviously. It's Caesar's casino, nevertheless. It's got a big, giant picture of Caesar on it, and it, man, it just looks like we're worshiping a man here. Uh, to me. That's what the world is going to do in the future. This is what the world's going to look like in a lot of places, whatever his name is. Uh, The Antichrist Superdome, the Devil's Superdome. That's just something to really look forward to. Uh, I I would encourage you to trust in the Lord today if you haven't done that already. And then, you don't have to worry about being here when the world literally turns to the devil as we've been learning in Sunday school first uh, thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen very clearly represents to us that that the Lord is going to come in the air, catch up believers, and take us back to the father's house john fourteen and it's It's pretty clear from scripture uh, when understood consistently literally that that event will take place before these events of the tribulation we will be rescued from this hour of wrath that is to come upon the earth Uh, revelation 3 9 through 10 that he's going to keep us from the hour of testing that is about to come upon the earth during that time the world is going to worship satan and the antichrist and he's going to be, this beast is going to be filled with blasphemous words. Notice Revelation 13, 5 and 6. It says, there, were, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. An authority to act for 42 months was given to him, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. There seems to be a point of emphasis there. This person is going to be blasphemous towards the Lord, towards heaven, and even towards the people who dwell there in heaven. Notice the language again. It says that, the, that this uh, mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, verse 5, was given to him. This is something that uh, God is allowing to happen there. And they are arrogant words. Daniel chapter 7 says exactly the same thing. Daniel 11.36 mentions the same idea that the Antichrist is going to be one who is is very arrogant, very proud, speaking uh, with this blasphemous mouth. Our scripture reading, 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, 3 and 4 says the same thing. Again, here's that evidence piling up, piling up, that this is a literal person who is going to be coming to this earth to rule over this future kingdom. These arrogant words. This is something that God hates. God hates <laughs> arrogance. He hates uh, pride in people. Uh, Proverbs three thirty four uh, mentions this fact. The book of James chapter four verses six and seven. I want to read that one for some reason it didn't make it onto to the verse sheet here. Uh, speaking of God, James four six he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a quote of Proverbs three thirty four. Verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If The reason why the devil would go towards a person who is arrogant and speaking arrogant words is because, well, that's who he is. You're being his friend when you, when you act like that, and that is opposed to God. God lifts up the humble. And if we go to God, rather than our own pride and arrogance, James tells us that the devil will flee from us. Uh, This Antichrist will be blaspheming against God, it describes here in Revelation 13. We see Satan himself did that in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 14. We won't take the time To read that this morning. But this is why. One of the reasons why God tells us. God told the Israelite people I should say. And us by extension that we shouldn't worship false gods. Obviously. Exodus 20 verses 3 through 7. This is the very characteristic of Satan himself. That he wants to elevate himself to be God. So of course he wants people to worship him as God. God warns the Israelites don't do that. Exodus 20 verses 3 through 7. He's even blaspheming. This Antichrist will even blaspheme against those who dwell in heaven. Verse uh, 6 tells us he's blaspheming against his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. And we shouldn't be surprised uh, when this happens. Jesus warned us, warned his disciples that this very thing would take place in the upper room discourse, John 15, uh, verses 18 through 21. He says, you know, hey, they hated, they hated me first. If you follow after me, of course, they're going to hate you also. Satan and the Antichrist will be the ultimate uh, portrayal of this and in, in blaspheming against those who are in heaven. We see this played out in the fifth seal judgment. Revelation 6, nine, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony, which they had maintained. These people in the future tribulation will be faithful to God And to his word, to such an extent that the world around them is going to see it, and they're going to literally kill them, is what is described. And so we today, you know, this uh, pre-tribulationalism, as it's referred to, thinking that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a, a... something that says, oh, well, nothing bad is ever going to happen to us because after all, we're going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. Uh, I would encourage you to kind of look around a little bit. There's some persecution going on in the world. Uh, Pastors literally being jailed in uh, Canada, which is like an hour and a half drive east of here. I think that's about the closest place over there, just over the bridge from Port Huron, from where we are today. People being arrested for being faithful because of the word of God and being faithful to what it says. And I guarantee it, it'll happen in America also before this tribulation starts. It's virtually a guarantee that the same things will be happening here. So it is incumbent upon us to be faithful to God Uh, in these times even in which we are living because, make no mistake, the enemies of God are already at work in this world in which we are living today and they're not our friends. (laughs) They don't really like us. They may not be killing us today, but something tells me if they could, they, they would. Uh, notice that this authority is given to him and this this mouth is given to the antichrist there in verse 5 it's given to him not to it that's another indication that this is probably a person and not just a, a coming world empire but rather a person because Uh, There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and the authority to act for 42 months. Now that's interesting. Of course, this idea that it's given to him, it's given by God. God is sovereign over this entire process. And we'll get to the reason why that is here shortly. This 42 months... We've seen this several times. This is three and a half years, uh, which is a depiction of the second half of the tribulation. That's why when we think, well, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene with the first seal, but he isn't going to be like literally indwelt by Satan and carrying out these things until probably the second half of the tribulation, where this great authority is going to come upon him, for these forty-two months, three and a half years, sometimes described as a time, times and a half a time. We've seen this uh, several times uh, in from the book of Daniel, verses chapter nine, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, tell us that this tribulation period is going to be seven years. But in the middle of that seven years, something dramatic is going to happen. Uh, it was in our scripture reading this morning. You can find it in Matthew 24, verse 15 and following. Uh, the book of Daniel nine twenty-seven describes this dramatic event that will take place When the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem that isn't there yet, but will be, designs are already there. Jewish people are ready to build that thing. It could probably be up in a matter of months. It is going to be there because events at the temple are described, one of which is this Antichrist setting up Uh, or an image being set up of him that people worship in the temple. Obviously a tremendous blasphemy, blasphemous event that will take place in the future. Uh, It's referred to as the abomination of desolation in Matthew and in Daniel. Then it's going to get really bad so again future people when you see somebody setting up a false image in the temple don't worship that instead read matthew 24:15 through 21 and escape run for your life go as far away from that idea as you can because then it is going to be the great tribulation And so after this, we see that that this Antichrist is going to make war against believers. Verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. It was given to the beast to persecute believers. Daniel saw this. Daniel 7.21, he describes something that is very similar when he's describing this, this future uh, antichrist who will rule. Daniel 7.21, I kept looking in that horn. He's, the antichrist is described as a horn here in Daniel 7. He was... Waging war with the saints and overpowering them, almost exactly the same language that John uses here, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. The two witnesses, very clearly, obviously, uh, already experienced this, Revelation 11:7. They were overcome uh, by the beast, died, were resurrected, caught up to heaven. Uh, And he is going to be, at least in the eyes of the world, he's going to be successful at least on a large scale against believers. We saw this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, Joe and I did not uh, talk about this beforehand, but he also mentioned Zechariah 13 verses 8 through 9 uh, describing the future tribulation. It says, it will come about in all the land, Israel declares the Lord, by the land there, that's what he means, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. This is where we get the idea that two-thirds of the Israelite people are actually going to die during this tribulation period. And that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, all of those two-thirds are unsaved and somehow God is condemning these people to hell. No, it means that two-thirds of them will die. And before they die, they have a decision to make whether or not they're going to trust in Christ as their Messiah. The same decision that that you and I uh, have the privilege of being able to make. Am I going to trust in Christ and his sacrifice for my sins? I don't care who you are on this planet. You can can make that decision. Vladimir Putin, uh, he's the evil guy of the day. He can make that decision right now if he wanted to. Yeah, I'm going to trust in Christ and he will immediately be saved the same way that you and I can the same way that these people in the future can, they can trust in him, but that doesn't mean that you're automatically delivered from everything bad that can happen in this world. You can still die. Zechariah tells us that two thirds of the Israelite people are actually going to die during this time. <clears throat> The Antichrist is going to be at least somewhat successful in his war against believers. Uh, again, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, martyrdom on an unprecedented scale. Revelation thirteen fifteen, 15, the false prophet, this second beast that we learn about in the second part of Revelation 13, he's going to kill anyone who won't worship the Antichrist. Revelation 13:15 It was given to him to the false prophet to give breath to the image of the beast the antichrist so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed So there are going to be people who don't worship this image of the beast but they're going to pay for that with their Lives because this Antichrist is waging war against them. Notice that it is a worldwide empire. He has control over the entirety of the world to force people to worship uh, Satan, and as we will see, the false prophet, to worship the Antichrist in the future. This authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Uh, to the Antichrist, Daniel again saw precisely the same thing daniel seven twenty three through twenty seven describing this worldwide empire uh, daniel eleven forty describing this worldwide empire and this one person who is kind of in charge of it we oftentimes we'll refer to it as a revived Roman Empire because, again, there are four beasts described. The fourth beast was Rome, uh, but it hasn't fulfilled all of these things that we see talking here. Again, if we take words seriously at their meaning, there's a point of emphasis here in Revelation uh, 13.7, again, over every tribe and people, and tongue, and in case you didn't get it the first three ways I described it, and nation, the Lord says. He's going to rule over the entirety of the world. So as we call it a revived Roman Empire, but as we've seen, it's really a conglomeration. Yes, it is that, but it's a conglomeration of all the the empires that have come before, and it's going to be headquartered in Babylon. Revelation 14 and verse 8, uh, before the bowl judgments are poured out, again, just like we looked forward to Christ's reign with the seventh trumpet, we look forward to another event that will take place, Revelation 14:8. another angel, a second one followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Revelation 17 through 18, two entire chapters dedicated to describing the fall of Babylon, a literal city where this kingdom of the antichrist will at least for a portion of the tribulation period be headquartered. Again, we may think, you know, oh, how could that ever happen? There's, you know, it's a wasteland. Well, just look at the Middle East. They put up cities uh, very, very quickly. Uh, Doha, Dubai, they're literally uh, putting sand into the ocean to make space for the expansion of Dubai and some of these uh, cities in the Middle East. It could happen very, very quickly. Again, this authority was given to him. Uh, notice that again. God is allowing this suffering to take place. He, does, he, allows, that, he allows suffering for us to take place. Uh, and here's something for us to keep in mind before we start feeling too sorry for ourselves or get mad at God for, quote-unquote, allowing suffering to happen. It's kind of our fault. In the first place, God created the world very good genesis one thirty one without sin, without suffering, without death, without anything bad and then Adam sinned, and you, you could insert, I could insert, and then Kurt sinned, then you sinned and bring these problems onto ourself. Yes, God allows it to happen, uh, but it is the consequences of our of our own actions. And sometimes, yes, we can be an innocent party and suffer some, uh, obviously, some kind of physical malady that has nothing to do with uh, some sin that we have in our past. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Uh, We can be mistreated by other people. Maybe you did absolutely nothing wrong for whatever reason. This person doesn't like you, and they persecute you. Uh, yes, God does allow that to happen. And guess what? It's for our own good. Romans five one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we ex- stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Small t., knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So yes, we suffer uh, tribulations, uh, persecutions, sickness, illness, uh, mistreatment by other people. Could be completely innocent in those in those kinds of things, but it is meant for our good. It is meant to conform us to the image of Christ because after all, he is God himself on this earth who suffered. Talk about suffering innocently. Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate example. Of that, and in this, we are we are refined and and taught what it means to be faithful under persecution and these kinds of things, and that is is for our good. And He's going to allow this uh, suffering in the future during the tribulation for a very specific purpose, and that is to bring the nation of Israel to the point where they will trust in Jesus as their Messiah, and whether or not they, it takes, it takes all of this suffering to get them to the point where they will do that, where they will realize that they are hopeless and helpless in this world without Christ, and then they will call on him. And Jesus will come to them. He wants to come to them and establish his kingdom over the earth through the nation of Israel. Don't believe me, read Matthew 23, particularly the last few verses there. He wants to do that, but they have to call on his name. It will take the tribulation period and this refining period for them to do that. Romans eleven twenty-five 25 through 27 describes the same kind of thing. So yes, the Antichrist is going to wage war on this on believers in the future and there is a warning about it revelation 13:8 through 10 quickly all who dwell on the earth will worship him everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the lamb who has been slain if anyone has an ear let him hear if anyone is destined for captivity to captivity he goes And then ASB says, if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. The unsaved people of this world are going to uh, worship the beast. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And then it gives the qualifier. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb uh, who has been slain? This is kind of uh, a, at least a portion of the 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 apostasy that's in Second Thessalonians, two that we don't have to uh, don't have time to go into. The whole world worshiping, including the Israelite people, worshiping this antichrist, this beast. They are turning to him rather than to God. Uh, and. As I said earlier, uh, the Antichrist comes into the world at the beginning of the tribulation, but the real worship of him is going to take place at the midpoint of the tribulation when he's set up to be worshipped in the temple. And Notice that the people who worship him are those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life. And this isn't the only verse that talks about this uh, Lamb's book of life. We've already seen this and discussed it uh, uh, earlier on. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 3 and verse 5 mentions names being blotted out of this book. So the way that I would uh, personally handle this is to understand that the Lord, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for the sins of the entire world. Every person, not just a subset of people, but rather all people. Are we just making that up or do we have something to back that up with? First John 2.2, 2, He, Christ himself, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So I would, uh, as we talked about before the last time we discussed this book of life, I would put forward the idea that all people's names, every single person who will ever exist in this world's name at some point was written into this book of life. All people who will have life. Now at the end of time, whenever that will be, there are going to be people's names who are not in that book of life. Names can be blotted out of that book. Psalm uh, 69 and verse 28 makes that pretty clear, uh, that names can be blotted out of this book. So all names at some point in the past are in this book. At the end, only those who trust in Christ's names will be in that book at the end of time. So we want to be careful about basing our, our theological ideas on just one verse, kind of look at the totality of information that, that the Bible contains about these various topics, and we'll have a better idea of what's being described. Uh, all of that to say God is omniscient. Yes, he does know who is his, he knows everything that is possible to be known. He knows even the things that are potentially possible to happen, let alone those things which will happen. First Peter 1 Peter 1-2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying of the Spirit, to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. Uh, these people that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter are known according to the foreknowledge of God. That's how they are, the chosen people, because God knows all things. He doesn't have just a subset of people from eternity past that he knows and everybody else is excluded. All people can trust in Christ because Christ shed his blood for all people. We can Feel free and with absolute confidence give the gospel to any person that we come across because, not because we're so great, but because God is so great. And Jesus Christ shed his eternal blood for the sins of the world. And praise the Lord that he did that. So this is obviously a warning to the uh, tribulation saints that we find here. Tribulation Believers, if anyone has an ear, let him ear hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. That's a great translation of that. The second half of this NASB doesn't do quite so good with. If any, it says, if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. That's not exactly the, the idea. It's not a warning to not kill people with a sword. It's rather like the uh, ESV translate it, translate it as very similar to the first phrase. If you're going to captivity, to captivity you're going to go. If you're going to die by the sword, you're going to die by the sword is the idea. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain is how the ESV puts it. Your persecution is ordained by God, is what is being described. Jeremiah 15.2, this is a uh, uh, very similar language. Jeremiah 15.2, Isaiah 43.11, persecution is coming to this world, and you will need to endure. That's the, the last half. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints uh that fits with the idea yeah you may go into captivity you may be killed and guess what to make it to the end of this and be found faithful at the end you're going to need perseverance this is the perseverance of the saints uh Matthew 24 9 through 13 Jesus describes a very similar thing similar language it's going to take perseverance to make it to the end of the tribulation and see Jesus come again that's what's being described here this is the true perseverance we need uh, a similar perseverance uh, to undergo the trials and and tribulations that we undergo uh in this life it's definitely a warning to us also in some regards, if you have an ear, uh, listen up. You may suffer persecution. You may even die in this life. Today is the day of salvation. You have a decision to make 2 Corinthians 6 1 through 2. Uh, verse 2 at the acceptable time i listened to you and on the day of salvation i helped you behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation here it is you have the opportunity to trust in christ as a believer today and be delivered from this time that is to come and that that's the single condition believe and be saved Understand that you are separated from God by your sin and that Jesus Christ, God, the eternal son, went to the cross to die for your sins, pay the penalty for them. If you simply trust in him, not your works, not in your which church you go to, not in giving money to a church, uh, not in saying enough prayers or doing enough good things, but rather trusting in the one good thing, That Christ did on your behalf in going to the cross, shedding his blood for your sins. The moment that you trust in that, he gives you his righteousness. Our, Our works pale in comparison. They're not even worthy of mention in light of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then we move from death to life. John 5. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Romans three, uh, twenty-six through 30. Today is the day for you to persevere, not to earn your salvation, not to keep your salvation, not to prove to a world around you that you're a saved person, but you ought to persevere in your trials today as a believer because that's what God wants you to do. Romans 13:11. do this, be faithful, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So while the book of Revelation in this uh, chapter in particular is talking about this future uh, world ruler, obviously The warnings uh, uh, that go along with it and some of the similar things that we can face in our lives, trials, tribulations, difficulties, uh, we face the same kind of thing and the call is the same to us as it is to them. Be faithful today because he has been so faithful to us. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Revelation that is uh, speaking of the future largely, but is still so applicable to our lives today. I pray that, that each one of us would go away from here ready to serve you with our lives in spite of the circumstances that we face. And really, uh, because of the circumstances that we face in our lives, I pray that we would be Uh, even more faithful to the things that you have for us to do. We thank you for the salvation that we have through trust in Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. I pray that that he would empower us as believers to be faithful to you in this week to come. And we just pray for your will to be done in Jesus name. Amen.